the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Two reports on home sales in Detroit suggest how much the real estate market here is changing and who's benefiting from those changes. We're going to be joined today by Anika Goss, the CEO of Detroit Future City, which is the nonprofit that produced the new reports, to talk about what these reports tell us, what we should learn from them, and how we open up home ownership to more Detroiters. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us today. One of the really profound achievements here in the city of Detroit is the extent to which throughout most of the 20th century, we became ground zero of sorts for the idea of home ownership in this country. By mid-century, Detroit had more single-family homes owned by their occupants than any other American city. And in the latter parts of that century, mostly after the Fair Housing Act passed in 1968, African-American Detroiters really began to benefit from that trend as well. Detroit also became the city with the highest rate of black home ownership in America. And while Detroit still has some of the highest rates of black home ownership around the country, we've also seen some real slippage. Today, a majority of Detroiters are homeowners, but lots of African-American Detroiters are still trying to recover from losses they netted from the 2008 financial crisis and the crises that came before that, that really devalued property in large part because it was in the hands of black homeowners. And we are still, as a city, really struggling to ensure that there's sufficient opportunity for Detroiters, and especially black Detroiters, to either join or remain a part of the ranks of homeowners in our city. Two new reports by the local think tank Detroit Future City highlight changes to the housing market in Detroit and the metro region. We all, I think, can look not much further than our doorsteps to see those changes taking place. And according to DFC, these changes show that across the area, demand for homes by African Americans throughout a range of incomes, it's increasing and increasing significantly. And in the city of Detroit, market home sales went up, showing signs of a housing market that is stabilizing after not only the 2008 financial crisis, but also the massive disruption of the pandemic, which also had really, really profound real estate implications. 
But all of this still leaves big questions about what Detroit neighborhoods are most attractive to home buyers, how we make those and other spaces more attractive so more people want to live here, and of course, how we help the many African Americans who live here buy homes and stay here as homeowners. That's where we begin the conversation today, and we want to spend the time on the show talking about the current state of real estate here in Detroit, what we should be learning about what's going on, and what things we should be focusing on as change we can inspire or enforce that makes the changes that are already happening more inclusive, more inclusive of the African-Americans who still make up a majority of our city. To talk about all this, we've got Anika Goss here. She is the CEO of Detroit Future City, a local think tank, and her organization recently published these two reports on home sales in Detroit and how black home buyer demand has changed over the last decade. Anika, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Steve, and thank you for having me. So I want to start with just an overview of these two reports. Uh, you guys have been really focused on real estate and uh, inclusion uh, in, in recent years. Tell me about these two new reports, uh, what they say about how home buying has changed in Detroit over yeah. the last 20 years. Uh, thanks for that. And thanks for highlighting the report. And I want to give credit to our team at the Center for Equity Engagement and Research at Detroit Future City. Um, but I, I think what we want to do, Stephen, is be able to tell a story about why it's so important to focus on homeownership. I feel like we, there have been at least a dozen homeownership programs from the home mortgage lending program to all kinds of homeowner counseling programs. And it feels like we we have these really strong organized efforts, but we hadn't had a real handle on what the current housing um, situation was. How many houses are sold? Who's buying these houses? What are the conditions of these houses? What are all of the different categories? And those are all things that we really need to know if we're actually going to move forward with a, a robust housing agenda. And we are still at Detroit Future City very committed to targeting African-American middle-class households. It's our largest demographic. African-Americans are our largest demographic in Detroit. We want black households to choose Detroit to live in. We want other people to choose Detroit also, mm -hmm. but they're doing that. Other, <laughs> a lot of other ethnicities are already choosing Detroit and that's great, but we really want black middle-class households not to leave. And so, we're really proud of this work because for the first time in one report, you can actually understand the difference between um, a land sales contract and a land bank home mm -hmm. and a mortgage sale. And those are all sales and we've mapped them all out and help people understand where those sales are and where there are still no sales. 
and that's equally as important. Yeah. So I want to I want to talk just a minute about sort of uh, highlights or, or or central points, I guess, that you would have people draw from from these reports. It, it seems to me that the, it's telling us two things simultaneously. One mm-hmm. is about geography, right? Uh, what mm-hmm. parts of our city are experiencing real change in in the market, both in terms of the number, the volume of sales, and the the, the price of of those sales. But then it's also telling us about who is driving that change, who is buying, and why they are buying, where they are buying. But I but I would really love to have you just tell us, uh, you know, two or three things that you think we all should take from this uh, when we're thinking about. Uh, the challenges we have with with real estate. Right. Well, I think that the one thing that I'm really most excited about is that the idea that you can buy a home, my friend, I have a lot of friends from California because I grew up there as a kid and they are consistently asking about buying a home in Detroit for a thousand dollars. They all want, think that they can still do that. <laughs> and we can proudly report that you can no longer do that in Detroit. <laughs> right. Those days are gone. <laughs> that, yeah. And that uh, more than half, more um, uh, nearly two-thirds of the homes in Detroit are what's considered market sales, meaning these are uh, homes that have little or no distress, They are marked either uh, with a warranty deed, meaning that there's a traditional transaction between a seller and an owner. Um, And that is such a positive thing because over the last 10 years, we have been leading in distress sales. And those distress sales are the, the foreclosures, the land bank transactions, the other transactions that uh, are, are, you know, it could be anybody between two parties that's that's not necessarily covered by a warranty deed. And that's really, really important. And it says that our housing market is beginning to return to a competitive state, a normalcy of a city this size. And we should all be really, really proud of that. Uh, the second thing that I think is really important to note is that the Black home buyer demand report is a demand report. So we really focused on applications. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't necessarily focus only on where Black homeowners are buying, where they're making their purchase. So where they want to buy the home is very different than where they're actually buying a home. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we need to, there's such an incredible opportunity there. And, you know, in our previous report, which I appreciate you covering, uh, Buying In, which also analyzed the Home Home Mortgage Disclosure Act data that analyzed the mortgage data, it, it really displayed some inequities that are a part of the mortgage sale process that we're still, that Black uh, home buyers are still finding. And it's not just credit score, but it's also the value of that and the condition of that neighborhood that goes into whether or not you can get it approved for a mortgage. So if we're seeing that there are more, there's more demand for Detroit homes by black homeowners, 
or black uh, borrowers, but they're not necessarily getting those mortgages right. at the rate that they should, that is problematic. Like that is a gap that we can immediately address. And that was really one of the primary points of the report. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with Anika Goss. She's the CEO of Detroit Future City, and her think tank recently published two reports on the real estate market and housing in Detroit, one looking at uh, the volume and the price of sales in different parts of the city, the other looking at demand uh, that uh, represents the desires of African-American Detroiters to be part of the home ownership Uh, that defined Detroit for so long and the frustrations that still exist uh, with being able to buy a home, get it financed, and then go live in the neighborhood that you've chosen. We would love to hear from you, the listeners, during the conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know if you live in Detroit, if you've recently bought a home or are trying to buy a home here right now. Give us a sense of what that process looks like? Are there challenges that you're running into that you maybe didn't anticipate? Uh, Are there things that really seem like they're designed to make sure that you can't buy the home that you want in the neighborhood that you want? Uh, Also give us a sense if you feel like you're being priced out of uh, certain neighborhoods or maybe the Detroit market altogether. Are things just getting too expensive uh, for you to buy a home? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also uh, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Um, Anika, before we get to, to listeners, I do want to go back to this this question of the gap that you were just talking about. Uh, that that African Americans still are experiencing here. What does this What does this new report tell us about the whys there? The things mm-hmm. that still are in place that that frustrate the black desire to be part of the home ownership world here. Well, I I do think one thing to really pay one. So I think there's a couple of things. One thing that we're seeing that we were actually really excited about is that there are more black home buyers uh, than there have been in a long time. Mm -hmm. And that has been consistent since 2020, right? And so there are some, it's not like no one is getting approved. There are black home buyers that are happening. But The challenge, I think, is that if we are wanting to not only identify Black homebuyers that are of modest means and are purchasing smaller homes to move to, to, to remain in Detroit and to stay in Detroit, we're also wanting really to identify Black homebuyers of higher means. And because there are so many homes now, the the housing costs have gone up pretty significantly in Detroit. Where we're seeing some of the gaps is that the majority of the black home buyers are being approved for much smaller mortgages Mm -hmm. than white buyers. We saw this in the, the buying in study in 2020. And what we're seeing now is that while there are some mortgages that, while there is home buyer demand, 
uh, in Detroit for households over $50,000, we are not seeing the, the final close on that. We're not seeing the, the, the mortgages approved mm -hmm. at a much higher level. And the housing stock for the neighborhoods that we're seeing is really going up, but we're not seeing the black home buyers in those neighborhoods. So that getting to a point where black home buyers are able to move into some of these neighborhoods that are valued much higher. And so we should be thinking uh, University District, mm -hmm. Grandmont Rosedale, um, East English Village, you know, some of these neighborhoods where we know that the housing stock is averaging anywhere between 200 and 300,000 or 200 and 500,000 in some cases. That's not where we're seeing, and that's not where we're seeing these mortgages taking place for Black home buyers. And and before we take a quick break, I want to I want to kind of think about what the implications of that look like if we don't reverse that trend five, ten, fifteen years from now. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I grew up in the city at a time when uh, there were still white neighborhoods in, in, in many cases that were yeah. uh, middle class and upper class. And, uh, you know, the, the, the story of our lives is black access into those neighborhoods, right? All, all of a sudden, uh, things kind of opened up. And by the time, you know, we're teenagers or in our young 20s, you, you've got uh, substantial uh, populations of, of us in, in, those, in those neighborhoods. Uh, mm -hmm. This seems like a, a resegregation, for lack of a better word, uh, that that could unfold over the next uh, you know decade or so if you don't maintain that access now. If if you can't get uh, people to be able to buy houses in those neighborhoods, even when they should qualify, you go back to a pre nineteen seventies Detroit, which I don't think. Uh, most of us would say is is an improvement, right? Or and and it it exacerbates um, black home buyers buying in the suburbs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is what we're trying to prevent. <laughs> we want people to live here, and I'm sure the suburbs uh, are feeling really good about this. And I know that there are many suburbs that are like, this is great. We're going to have all of these new people that can afford to live in our suburbs and increase our values. And that is great for them. But we can do the same thing here in Detroit. But it does require really focusing on these neighborhoods, really tightening them up, being able to offer all of the amenities that families of a variety of incomes, right? So we're not turning our back on low-income communities that offer services to households to be able to grow and provide stability. That is critically important and neighborhoods should be stabilized to, to be able to support low-income families. Mm -hmm. What we are saying is that if we're going to really create the Detroit for the future, and if our future includes everybody, it also has to include black households of diverse incomes. Yeah. 
Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Anika Goss of Detroit Future City. We're also going to add another voice to the conversation, Chase Cantrell, who is a Detroit-based attorney and the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Building Community Value, is going to join us to talk about his experience working with folks in Detroit who want to buy a house or want to rehab a house or need help navigating the complexity of the Detroit Land Bank Authority to get a house. We're also mix you into the conversation. Uh, Chris in Detroit, Lucy in Detroit, William in Detroit, Deb and Spencer also in Detroit. We will get to you next. Hear what's on your mind. If you want to join them and talk about real estate in Detroit, how it's changing, how it's affecting the African-American majority here. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and you can be part of the problem or part of the program that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. For news that impacts your community, music that moves your soul, and conversations that matter, W-D-E-T, Detroit's NPR station. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. We've got two great guests with us right now talking about real estate here in the city of Detroit. Anika Goss is the CEO of Detroit Future City, a local think tank, and they recently published two reports about home sales in Detroit and how black homebuyer demand has changed over the last decade. I also want to introduce a new voice to the conversation. Chase Cantrell is a Detroit-based attorney and the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Building Community Value. Chase, welcome to the studio. It is great to be back. It's great to have you here. So, uh, Chase, I want to start with you in this uh, segment. You are really knowledgeable about the resources that people need to navigate the real estate market here, and it's not a short list of resources (laughs) that people still need. It's one of the most complicated markets I've had any experience with. But I wonder if we can start with you talking about what the experience is of many of the Detroiters you work with or the nonprofits that are trying to buy homes in the city. What does it look like? How difficult is it right now? Well, it remains very difficult. And, you know, I just want to congratulate uh, Detroit Future City and Anika and her team on two really amazing reports. You know, I really love this information that they're putting out into the public. Um, One of the things that it highlights is that we're moving in some neighborhoods from very little activity at all that we saw a few years ago or 10 years ago to actually beginning to see distressed properties move in the market. But what what that tells me, though, is a lot of these properties are still um, probably still require a lot of rehab. Um, a lot of these properties need a lot of work, require a lot of um, capital investment to, to bring them back to life. And, and what we're seeing, and this is consistent over the past 10 years, is that it's actually very difficult to find that capital in the Detroit market to, to do that work. 
you know, if you talk to any realtor in Detroit, you know, most home buyers don't want to, you know, do a full gut rehab, right? They're not looking for a real estate development project. They're <laughs> looking for a home that they can move in and build their lives in. So, you know, when you're confronted with, um, you know, these neighborhoods with with distressed properties that need to um, really have a lot of work on them, the problem becomes who's going to do that work? Who's going to do that work? Where are they going to find the capital to do it? Um, and over what period of time? So, you know, we have a supply problem in the city of Detroit. You know, we don't have enough supply of move-in ready homes for the home buyers, you know, regardless of race. For for any home buyer in the city who wants to find that home, their dream home in the city, you know, it's just very difficult to do without actually having to put some of that work in. So it makes it more challenging. Yeah. Um, when you see people successfully buying mm-hmm. homes in the city in in up and coming neighborhoods in neighborhoods that still need lots of investment uh, just anywhere what what are the things that uh, that lead to that success what are the factors that you see that say you know this person or this organization or this family uh, is going to be able to buy the home that they want in the neighborhood where they want to buy it so you know what's what's great about Detroit Future City is that they've had this um, they've been doing these reports over time, so they're building on all the information that they're putting out there. So there was um, a great report called Buying In a few years ago that mm-hmm. talked about all the barriers in the market. Um, and, you know, I think Anika said earlier that, you know, it's not just the it's not just the individual home buyer. It's the condition of the neighborhood. Right. So we're looking at, you know, how does the market value the homes in a community? And, you know, we're seeing a lot of these neighborhoods being clustered. Right. You know, so. Um, you know, I heard Anika mention, you know, Grandma Rosedale, East English Village. You know, I would I would also add, you know, you know, Bagley University and Sherwood, that cluster of neighborhoods. So um, part of the success is being in an area where the market recognizes that there's value. But also in Detroit as a whole, we, we're still seeing, even though we're seeing an increase, um, we're still seeing that homes and neighborhoods are undervalued as a whole. So, you know, there's a valuation problem. There's an appraisal problem. But those who are successful are oftentimes buying in neighborhoods where the market is reacting, saying, oh, we believe that the either the value is there or the value is coming back. Part of that is city investment. Right. So the Strategic Neighborhood Fund, where the city government has decided to place capital in terms of infrastructure, streetscapes, parks, et cetera. Right. The market is reacting to those things. Um but it's also some of those traditional neighborhoods that have all, always had those really strong, strong bones and strong anchors. So some of the ones that that you know we Anika talked about earlier and that I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones uh, if you want to be part of the conversation that we're having about real estate in the city and black home ownership, the trends for black home ownership in Detroit. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. I want to quickly go uh, to the first phone call, William in Detroit, who I think has a really great story to tell about what we are talking about right at this moment. William, go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Hello to everyone. Hey. Um, so my wife and I just recently bought a property in Detroit, which we are th- very thankful. We did have some issues in the process of closing, so some things changed to where, hey, you guys are going to have to have more money. Um because of this particular reason, and you got two weeks to get it. <laughs> you know, so some of those things kind of popped up twice. Mm-hmm. Have a more down payment, and now we we need you to have two more months of mortgage sitting in the bank as well. And you need to have it, you know, 
soon. And then you have the issue of, hey, well, this money was supposed to already be there, so how do you put this money in without it being a gift, and where are you going to get the money from? So that was a major issue in purchasing a property. And I just want to say these few items that you may be able to discuss even later is we have to go to the history of mortgages in the city of Detroit for black people. Yes. We know that that wall on 8 Ball is still there. We know that redlining exists. So there are some issues that have to be fixed from a long time ago, first of all. Yeah. So, William— Uh, Before I go back to our guests, I I, want to get just a little more from you about how you were able to to overcome the obstacles that that, you know the bank threw in front of you before you could close. I mean, I I hear that story a lot, and it ends differently. It ends with people saying, "Well, I I I couldn't buy the house. I had to I had to walk away." What 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 did you what were you able to to do that? that got everything that got everything satisfied for, from the bank's perspective. Well, uh, of course, uh, being an independent contractor, I had to call some customers up and see if they needed some extra work. Mm. Uh, we had some family members that was able to help out. Thank God for them, mm-hmm. uh, and some friends that you know tried to help out. Hey, we'll pay this bill for you until you you know so you can put that money down on that property. Wow! So we had to have uh, a host of family to really participate and help out just to get it done because there was no option in three weeks of closing losing your deposit you know we didn't have an option yeah and fortunately the family saw that we didn't have an option right right william uh, william i'm I'm glad the story turned out the way it did i'm sorry for uh, you know, for the extra effort that 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 it took, but but I'm glad you're a homeowner in in, in the city of Detroit. But I'm really glad you called as well uh, and shared that story, and of course, you know, invoked again the history uh, that that undergirds all of this. This is not happening in a vacuum. There are really powerful uh, historic forces of inequality and racism that make. Yeah the city look the way it does in terms of uh, buying a home and real estate. Uh, Anika, I'll give you the first crack at responding to William's story here. Yeah, well, congratulations to William. Hi, Chase. Good to hear from you. But (laughs) (laughs) um, I think, you know, and I, I think I've said this before that when the the Fair Housing Act uh, went into place, it wasn't like they replaced all of the staff Mm -hmm. at every bank, (laughs) at every mortgage company. And so now they're all inclusive and diverse. The policy, they were just basically building on the old restrictive policy, right? And after, I think even current day, after the housing crisis with Frank Dodd, I think what ended up happening is that many of the banks that had all and i don't know if you remember all of the bank all of the programs that existed in the early 2000s where they we were putting anybody in a home Mm -hmm. and there were all kinds of mortgage companies good or bad that were popping up all over the place giving out mortgages and then the housing crisis came and then when frank dodd occurred there was this huge retraction right and that retraction i believe black and brown people ended up suffering the worst yeah, from, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, the standards became a standard that 
was just too difficult to meet the challenges, you know, really using and people don't even know. People don't even know that the underwriting criteria includes not just your credit and how much money you have in the bank and your payment record for anything else, but the condition of the neighborhood you live in, whether or not the neighbors around the house that you have, that you want to buy have, have are in all in good condition. They all have to be in good condition. There can't be boarded up homes in that neighborhood. Well, what does that have to do with you and the house that you're living in or, or wanting to buy? Right. And that that becomes a barrier. That that becomes a really serious barrier. And it, and I think what we learned year, uh, in the previous report um was that in two previous going back to the black middle class report in 2019 is that black people who want to live in Detroit don't see Detroit as just six or seven neighborhoods. Right. They see all of Detroit. They have a relationship with the entire city. They see it in terms of west side, east side, southwest, right? And so those neighborhoods that were places where black families want to live, they have they're rooted there, their history there, mm-hmm. and they see those neighborhoods very very differently than an underwriter might see them. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like there's a lot of work that we have to do in order to have the freedom to be able to buy wherever you want and not have it be a a cash sale, distress sale, but a traditional mortgage sale with a warranty deed that actually impacts the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's a really important point, the idea that uh, in order for the market itself to get healthier and more stable and easier for people to access, you have to have more conventional mortgage sales. Yeah, you have to have more banks right. write conventional mortgages for these houses so that they can be used as as comparables for for other other sales. And so it's kind of a, a self fulfilling prof- prophecy that that you know somebody tries to buy a house and can't uh, get get a conventional mortgage for it. It's not only something that frustrates their efforts; it makes it harder. Uh, for everyone else uh, as well. Uh, Chase, I was uh, sitting looking at your face while William was describing what he was going through, and I'm thinking, I know somebody who's, who's had <laughs> a similar experience. Uh, uh, talk about your development. We've talked before on the show about the development that you've been working on. And, uh, uh, sure. McNichols. And, and again, that's a different, it's not a house, uh, but it is part of the market, and it is reflective, I think, of the difficulty that still exists trying to to get things started in neighborhoods that are seen by lenders and financiers as quote unquote not as desirable as other places right and i mean what's interesting about the the 6 mile project is that it's in my neighborhood right so i live a few blocks away from mm-hmm. from the building itself and uh you know i i purchased a house in that neighborhood and my experience was similar to williams right so you know, when you uh, have a W-2 from a nonprofit, sometimes that can cause questions from the bank that, as well. Right? They don't love that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there was a positive outcome. I did get the house, but, you know, similar uh, barriers and challenges along the way. Um, what's interesting on Six Mile and the Avenue of Fashion and Kirchival and all, all of these strategic neighborhoods, um, commercial corridors that we're doing work on is that 
it's the city has recognized that the market doesn't value these properties appropriately. And just to put this in perspective on uh, the Six Mile Project, you know, when we first got an appraisal, um, essentially the appraiser said that after this project is completed, after it's rehabbed, after, you know, it's brought back, it's going to be worth $1.5 million, which sounds like a lot, right? It costs $3 million to bring that building back. Mm. So immediately after completion of rehab, and we completed in March, um, you know, the market is saying it's worth less than we put in. Yeah. And this is exactly what's happening to homes across the city, right? You, um, We have about 9,000 um, structures left in the Detroit Land Bank Authority. The rest are, you know, vacant parcels. Um, of those 9,000, many of these are the uh, the hardest to bring back, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the most challenging inventory. But what the market will say for most of those is, yeah, you might be able to purchase it for $25,000, $30,000. It may cost 100000 total to bring it back, but it, the market may only say it's worth seventy. Yeah. right? So how, how do you find the capital to make that work? You need some form of governmental in- intervention. Um, that capital has to come from somewhere. So we're seeing it not just on the commercial side, but you know, single-family homes throughout the city, we're seeing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with both Anika Goss and Chase Cantrell. We'll also continue to hear from you. Lots of people want to talk about real estate in Detroit. Uh, Chris in Detroit, Lucy in Detroit, Deb and Spencer will get to you as well. Again, if you want to join, 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and be part of the program that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. I've got two great guests with us right now talking about real estate in the uh, in the city of Detroit. Two reports that are out about home sales in Detroit and how black home buyer demand has changed over the last decade. Those reports were produced by Detroit Future City, a local think tank, and we've got their CEO, Anika Goss, with us. We've also got Chase Cantrell here. He is a Detroit-based attorney and the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Building Community Value, which works with a number of different residents and nonprofits and other organizations to try to help people buy homes and other real estate in the city of Detroit. Lots of obstacles still exist uh, to those things. We want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation as well. I'm going to read a couple of the comments that we have on social media. Uh, DP Side says, the few black people I know or have known with the means to invest in a neighborhood like the North End, for instance, have instead spent their money in Southfield, Farmington, or some other suburb. The the proverbial horses left the gate on this one long ago. Um, uh, Michael on Twitter says, great topic. I don't know how available information is but are there initiatives to limit how many homes a real estate project can be owned by large capital investors versus people? Detroit seems like a rent economy 
getting worse, and I hope that changes. I'm going to stop there and get uh, get our guests to respond to Michael. It's a very, I think, important question that points to another dimension of all of this. Uh, Anika, talk about um, the problem that we have with um, investors holding on to property and what effect that has on the market. The mayor, of course, has a new idea that he's pursuing that he thinks will break some of that up. But uh, I'm curious about oh, okay. your, your, your perspective on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm curious about, because I'm, I'm not uh, familiar with the mayor's new idea. So I, I'm thinking of the, I'm awesome. thinking of the, 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 the reform he announced up on Mackinac to, to oh, change the, land, the, value the land value tax. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, we are still at about, we're at 49% of the city is renting, which is good or it's not good, it's better mm -hmm. <laughs> than it was because it was 51%. Um, and so it's moving in the right direction. And, you know, we we issued a report, which you can find on our website, and it was just a small brief that didn't get a lot of attention uh, that was just focused on renters and uh, property owners in particular is really who we were focused on, where we did an analysis of all of the property owners um, in Detroit, mm -hmm. whether or not they are they're, you know, listed that way. So it was really actually difficult to find. But um, and the majority of the renters are the majority of the property owners. Excuse me, are property owners that own between uh, two and six units. Right? There's only about three, there's only a, a small number, less than 10 uh, property owners that really own a huge amount of, of uh, rental property mm -hmm. in Detroit. So mm -hmm. we could actually get to them much faster than, <laughs> than we, I think, originally thought, where previously we thought that these property owners were, you know, these mysterious bad people but in fact, it's only a few people that own a lot of property that we can actually get to very easily. And that understanding who the property owners are and where they're owning property and what the condition of that property is, it has to be a part of the rental conversation. Yeah. I'm still a big believer that just because you're renting, it does not equate to either poverty or you're making some sort of bad decision. There are a lot of people who rent uh, and rent really well. And the best situation is if you're renting from your neighbor, because if you're renting from your neighbor, you are much more likely to actually have a really good landlord hmm. and transition easier into home ownership. And, you know, there's new policy in place now for long-term renters so long-term, your rent can now be used as part of your credit score and for a new mortgage. And so if you're a long-term renter, you can actually transition much easier to a homeowner. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's really key, that, that idea of the path from stable renting situation to home ownership. Right. 
which has been broken for a really long time, I feel like, uh, in the city. Chase, that, that's something that I think you see as well at building mm-hmm. community value is the difficulty making that jump uh, to, to, to being a homeowner from, from the rental situation. That, that's right. Um, so Detroit has about 16 HUD certified home buyer education programs, which is just a, a huge amount that's compared to other, <laughs> other cities. Um, and, and what we see is that there are many Detroiters who are going through these programs. Detroiters want to own homes. I've heard anecdotally, you know, some some people who claim, you know, Detroiters just don't understand the value of home ownership. You know, they want to rent. They don't really want to be home buyers. No, we're out there going through these programs, actually trying to access um, homes in the city. Um, but all the things that we've been talking about, you know, being able to access a mortgage um, is is the challenge, is the barrier. Uh, I think renting, as Anika's saying, is is one good step to being able um, to understand what it means to maintain that home before you actually do buy it. Um, but, you know, an issue that we also have that we haven't brought up is that, you know, a lot of these mortgage companies aren't willing to do um, low, uh, low cost mortgages, right? So if we're still undervaluing a lot of the property in the city of Detroit, if you have a home that's that the market is saying is worth $50,000 or less, it is very unlikely that, um, you know, one of the traditional banks in our city will, will provide that, that mortgage. Um, so, you know, even though folks want to remain in their neighborhoods, you know, we have connection to place in the city. We have connection to where we grew up. You know, it is difficult in many of our neighborhoods to be able to do that because the market still hasn't caught up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Lucy in Detroit. Lucy, what's on your mind? Hi, Stephen. Hi. Um, I basically... Um, I'm a realtor in Detroit. I live in LaSalle Gardens, and um, I want to talk about a little bit how buying a home in the city for middle-class people can be a real catch-22 with the tax rate. Hmm. Um, The issue is that when you buy a home, taxes are assessed on the most recent purchase price. Um, So that means that six months down the line, once the house goes through the process down at Coleman Young and the city assessor looks at the most recent purchase, which is what you paid for the house, your taxes jump insanely. Yes. So I've got clients calling me six months after they purchased their home going, oh my God, I, I went from like a manageable mortgage payment to something that I can no longer afford. Mm-hmm. And then there is a path to appeal those taxes. And there are some neighborhoods that are in you know, neighborhood enterprise zones where you can apply to get a 15 to 20% discount. But I've got to say, I've had more than a few deals just this past year come apart simply because people started to understand that they were going to be paying a tax bill that's higher than like, you know, anywhere in the metro, including like Ann Arbor. And what you get for that tax bill is not much. And I understand that it's because we have, you know, we still have like an absolutely shocking amount of people in poverty in the city and that's not okay you know but so there's sort of like this burden on the middle class to carry that sure that tax bill and it i i know the mayor's got an initiative out which you guys just mentioned but i've wondered if you know if that isn't something that we can fix a lot quicker yeah that's, that's gonna be a big 
big, Lucy, big you're people. you're absolutely right, and 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 you know I don't want to get going too much on on property taxes because I will be here all day, mm-hmm. um, but but you're you're absolutely right about the the discouragement that that offers to middle and upper class home buyers in the in the city. Right, you look at the the price that you're paying for a house and what you would pay in taxes. And you look at another community and you say, well, I, I can do better uh, there. I would add to that that the number one driver of displacement for people at the bottom of the real estate um, market, uh, inexpensive homes, uh, people who are not middle class, the number one driver of displacement for those folks and, and losing their homes is the property tax. Uh, yeah. they, they get behind on taxes, and after three years, the city takes their asset in, in order to, to, to try to recoup that money. Um, it is, I, I've started to say that, that uh, property tax is a scourge in the city. It is a, it is a, uh, a violent d- destructor of, of the market. Uh, and that's not just at middle and upper class levels, it's at the bottom. And so I think one of the questions we should be asking ourselves is, why do we do that? Uh, is there another way to, to, to deal with uh, revenue that the city needs to to provide to provide services, but Lucy, I'm really glad uh, you called and 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 added that uh, Chase and and Anika. I want to get you to re- re- respond as well, Chase. Uh, I'll, I'll well, start with you. Well, I just want to add to what you just said, Stephen. It's it's a race to the bottom, right? Um, we have seventy two thousand dollars, seventy two thousand parcels in the Detroit Land Bank Authority. Um, most of those are vacant land, right? Land that, you know, used to have structures on them. They've been demolished. We have about 3,500 more homes that are in the demolition pipeline. Um, you know, the, the more we continue to do this, I mean, we're, we're what Anika talked about earlier, right? The, 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 the condition of the neighborhood. Ex- exactly, right? This is going to continue to impact the condition of the neighborhood and individuals' ability to access property in those neighborhoods where there's so much vacant land. Um, it is a race to the bottom, and we need to stop doing it. Yeah, uh, Anika, we've got about a minute left, but I want to get your take on this too. Yeah, and hopefully the you know the land value tax is actually moving much faster than I think any of us thought it would, um, and so this is it, it's designed to create parity around uh, property tax just for this purpose mm-hmm. because this is and this is not something new that we just that you know the city came up with this is happening pennsylvania probably has some of the best tax policy in the country and they've been doing this for mm. years mm. to be able to create that kind of parity so that we're not overtaxing communities in one place and uh undertaxing uh areas in another setting yourself up to not be to be to not be able to market your own community. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, as I say each time, I have either of the two of you or both of you on. We never have enough time <laughs> to get to all the things we want to talk about. Uh, but Chase Cantrell and Anika Goss, it was really great to have both of you here. Thanks so much for joining on Detroit today. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us, Steve. Yeah. Also, uh, to the listeners, if you want to check out Detroit Future Cities two new reports or all of the reports that they've been doing about real estate and equity and fairness in uh, the city of Detroit, just go to DetroitFutureCity.com. 
All right, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. We'll have more great programming for you here on Detroit Today. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.